As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. We as a global community are reeling after witnessing the devastating events that have been going on in the U.S. justice system with the recent deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and countless other Black citizens who died at the hands of police officers in the past decade. Institutional racism is still prevalent in our country today, and Black Americans have been targeted, stereotyped, and killed without just cause for generations. Enough is enough. On today's episode, we're going to discuss how racism impacts our society, how we can educate ourselves through literature and resources, where to donate, how to support Black-owned businesses, and get involved with the cause. Today, I am joined by Shavona Renee Newsom. Shavona is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Greater New York, a civil rights leader at the forefront of the new civil rights movement and former financial advisor at New York Life. She has dedicated her adult life to the betterment of her community and our nation as a whole. Her parents actually met at a civil rights rally in the 1960s, so you can say that she was born into this fight. The Bronx native was raised in a devout Christian household. As a youth, Shavona's father became very ill, and she became his advocate, learning early on how to negotiate for health care with insurance companies and the local pharmacy. She attended pre-K through college in the New York's Congressional District 15th. The one year she chose to study out of state at the prestigious Howard University in Washington, D.C., her political action was noticed by then-Senator Barack Obama's campaign staff, and she was asked to be part of the 2008 Presidential Inaugural Committee. As a financial advisor, Shavona served her community— She worked on the $50 billion challenge, which created college savings, retirement plans, and generational wealth for over 300 Black and Brown residents of New York. Since then, she has engaged in protests and activities to combat financial injustice. Over the past few years, Shavona has worked tirelessly leading protests and seeking justice for the families of police brutality. She works with members of the LGBT community, victims of human trafficking, the mental health community, women's reproductive rights organizations, and housing justice advocates. She co-founded Black Lives Caucus, lectured students, and expanded Black Lives Matter Greater New York to multiple New York City charter schools. She is also the producer of Black Lives Matter with Shavona on WBAI 99.5 FM. She is currently running for Congress to represent New York's 15th Congressional District. The primary is on June 23rd, 2020. Shavona, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. We are in the middle of a revolution and you have made the time for me. So I really, really appreciate that. 
Uh, thank you for having me. And please don't make it sound like that. This is about the people. This is a people's revolution. And I applaud you for what you're doing, just the spreading the word and keeping everyone informed so they can know how we move forward. Like, what are the next steps in a revolution? I'm happy to be here. Thank you. It's wonderful. You have been on ground in New York with the peaceful protests that have been happening since day one. Can you tell us about what the sentiments were like and what you know, that experience was like for you? I've actually been in both places. I've been in Minneapolis. I went there about two days after the world knew about the murder of George Floyd. So it's very different of feeling what's happening in each place. I was at the site where George Floyd lost his life when they announced that one officer would be arrested. Now, I, I want to walk you through it, where he lost his life. It was actually love and community, and people drew murals, and there was prayer, and everyone was just as one in unity. Now, the nights there, it was very angry. It was very passionate. People were expressing their outrage with law enforcement and with the American government. But when I saw a PT cruiser crashing into New Yorkers happening to my friends, I, I have footage from their, from their social media platforms. I knew that my work had to be here. I had to be in New York. I felt it was an important time for people who had been on the ground for so long to lead by with direction, lead strategically and give people what to do next. So that's what I've been working on. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. With the COVID-19 pandemic not slowing down and Black communities being affected by the virus in large numbers, was assembling a cause for concern? So for, to address the first part of that, when COVID-19 hit, okay, everyone sheltered in place. But we saw from our social media posts, me and Black Lives Matter Greater New York, which I am the co-founder and I'm a candidate for Congress as well. We saw that all the Black people we knew, like all around the nation, were losing people. There were memorials going up all the time, these dedication posts. And then the numbers came out of Chicago. And it was like, wait, we need to call on Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York State right now to release the data and demographics by race. And in doing so, we all also called for more testing sites. Then we were handling, I was already in the streets feeding people. We knew about the food desert that the Bronx already had, but COVID-19 exacerbated that with 38 million people being unemployed. So we raised tens of thousands of dollars to feed as of date, 6,000 people with door-to-door -door food service. But I think that the people when they saw the murder of George Floyd, it was like, give me liberty or give me death. Mm. People would rather risk COVID than to continue to be oppressed by a system. Our liberty was more important. Ending police brutality was more important. Now, at the rallies that Black Lives Matter and the marches that we've held in New York, we have given out PPE. We do give out face masks. Some of our allies come out and they give out hand sanitizers. It's a little hard, uh, to be completely honest, is to social distance when we drew a crowd in Times Square yesterday of roughly 30,000 people. That's kind of hard on a New York City street to social distance, but everyone was wearing masks. Everyone was trying to practice this. But I just think that police brutality was was worth the risk. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's uh, a long time coming. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it took something so catastrophic to galvanize everyone, but you know, this has been the status quo for 400 
some years. Absolutely. And I think why this death galvanized people and it motivated people, so many first-time protesters, and I want to give a shout out to them, the people who have never been a part of a movement, never even shared a hashtag, who decided to come out and fight the good fight for liberation. Uh, When we watched the murder of Eric Garner on tape and we watched him scream the same words that George George Floyd said, I can't breathe. It was like, okay, we believed in the Department of Justice. That did not come. Black Lives Matter, Greater New York, we protested in the final hours before the statute of limitation would end on them filing charges against Officer Danny Pantaleo. That's the man who murdered Eric Garner. We saw that New York State set no precedent, that there were no changes. There were no, they left our calls for an elected civilian complaint review board. All of these things went unanswered. And the whole world saw that. We have Black Lives Matter marches happening in Paris. Uh, I was in talks with Tel Aviv, Black Lives Matter. So many people just said enough is enough. And I think that's how we're going to shape laws. It took the same processing during the original civil rights movement for us to have laws that Black people currently have, but we need more. So I'm grateful to everyone who's taken to the streets. Yes, absolutely. Can you tell us about your first experience with racism? I can tell you about my first encounter that I remember with the police department. Eleanor Bunker, it's actually a really historic spot where it happened to me. Eleanor Bunker was an elderly woman who the police were exercising an eviction order out of a public housing development here in the Bronx. This actually happened the year that I was born and they shot her with a shotgun. They murdered an elderly woman who they were evicted. So now you fast forward about five years. My brother and I, we were leaving my grandmother's house. She was in this home in a taxi cab with a ton of groceries. I'm five. My brother's 12. We're kids. We're in the back of a cab, cereal boxes, grocery bags all around us. We lived like 10 minutes away from my grandma's and the police pulled us over and they patted our pockets and went through our bags, the bags of children. So we were stopped and frisked before I was even in my double digits of pre-tween or whatever it's called. I was stopped and frisked. So that's my first encounter. But then you talk about the history of slavery and the 400 years of systemic oppression that you just discussed. And you have to talk about the Fugitive Slave Act. You have to talk about that they were used to capture Black people. So unless we have some legislation, and that's the reason why I'm running for Congress, is but nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to change. And yesterday at our rally that I mentioned in Times Square, we rolled out something called the Black Act. So it's a series of policies and bills that we know needs to get passed. And it's way more than police brutality. It's child and family equity. There's an education component where we support the Green New Deal for NYSHA, halting solitary confinement, utilizing of special prosecutors. So it was a whole Black agenda to protect us that we released yesterday. Wow. Amazing. Tell us what inspired you to take the leadership role of Black Lives Matter Greater New York. Well, some would say that activism is in my blood. My parents met at a Black rights rally in the late 60s. They were protesting for history, Black history to be taught by Black teachers in schools. So I was always, as they say, the kids now woke. My parents Mm -hmm. gave me books like Before the Mayflower. My parents love watching the news. So we would always debate things around the kitchen table. 
I remember the first protest that I ever attended, and that was for Sean Bell, who was murdered the night before his wedding. So you move, you fast forward a few years. I was doing these things, but didn't know what activism. I didn't label myself, organizing tennis associations, mutual aid. But uh, we did this campaign that said, I ain't voting until Black Lives Matter. So that pretty much was to address that Democrats and Republicans were addressing Black issues. And we were calling for people to withhold their vote in the presidential election. So when we got back from protesting the RNC, my brother and I, who's the co-founder and current chairman of Black Lives Matter Greater New York, we decided that we needed to do more. We are not an official part of the global Black Lives Matter movement. There are only about 30 chapters, but Mm -hmm. there are 400 unofficial chapters. It's spread globally. And we weren't so much as happy or satisfied with what was being done by Black Lives Matter New York City, which has currently like gone out of business and shut its doors. So we opened our own and we've just kept the work going. That's amazing. And do you synergize with the national, um, you know, enterprise of Black Lives Matter? That's headed um, by- we do work with some of the groups, but we have no formal connection with global as a whole. Uh, Black Lives Matter Patterson was out in Minneapolis with us. Black Lives Matter Minnesota called on us the day that the world saw the video and we organized a digital rally and then they asked us to come out there on the ground in Minneapolis. That's great. And what inspired you to run for Congress in your district? Can I be candid with you? Can, yes. can, I, can I not give you like a political spiel? We had back to we black, we have something called Black Lives Caucus, where we do political endorsements and we support progressive candidates, uh, mostly people who until they win, you've never even heard of them. And what would happen was they would get into office and they became scared to pro- to say anything about black issues, about police brutality, they wanted to seem anti-cop, about things that we needed them for, they would ignore us or they wouldn't even retweet. So now was just absolutely the time for me to serve the community that I'm born and raised in and currently lived in. I felt that there was not a better candidate who would do what I plan to do for New York 15, which is in the South Bronx. There was no one who would be unapologetic, who would be unbought and unbossed, and who had already been out there fighting the work as a true organizer and an activist for my people. So I had to step in. I've always stood at the vanguard. So the next step for us is absolutely legislation. Yes, yes. And tell us your plan, if you could, on how to incite these reforms. Well, as of right now, I have gotten laws passed just being a regular person. I know what it takes to bring awareness. Uh, Last year, I lobbied for the New York State Tenant Protection Act, and we got that passed because 100 people in the Bronx were getting evicted every single day. So what it does is it takes public awareness, as you see with all the legislation and happening right now. You just have to know how to be strategic and using media strategy. Then you have to know how to galvanize and mobilize the people. So now I know how to do all those things and take it to Washington. And the greatest thing about my platform and what I believe in, these are not my ideas of what I think would be trendy or appeasing or cool to the left. This comes from polling my community. My platforms and policies, the ones that we just released and the ones that I've had up and supported for a long time came from being a part of a collective. We 
just uh, saw that Senator Kamala Harris and Senator Cory Booker joint forces to come up with the Justice in Policing Act. And high level, what it is, is it's making sure that we hold police officers accountable with the Department of Justice. So when she broke it down, she said that right now, uh, when questioned, officers are asked, was force reasonable with whatever arrest it was at hand? And they're changing the verbiage to be, uh, was force necessary? And so I think that this um, legislative package could provide um, a lot of the change that we're looking for in holding police officers accountable, especially those who bring racial biases to the job. What do you think of of this act? I, I feel like everyone pushing police reform, it's a step in the right direction, but I always feared that it's a little watered down. Mm-hmm. And what I addressed with you earlier about the, um, the Black Act, we have something in it called the I Can't Breathe Act. And there's also other police reform policies where say the I can't breathe back, it would prevent another or harshly punish actually offers officers who deny you medical attention if you are in their custody. That would be a class A felony. Yes. Next, if you are murdered in their custody, that's an automatic murder. The same way that they would charge you or I, pick us up and let a jury of our peers decide, that's right. when you happen with officers. We also need a special prosecutor to come in when these incidents happen. We need to disband police unions because they have far too much power over our local on state politicians. We need to end this blue wall of silence that if officers do things like what we're talking about, if they abuse their power and their privilege, they should be facing jail time and a loss of their pension. So I, I just think we need to be harsh because a lot of it, it sounds really good when we scream out police reform, but what is the accountability? It needs to be more than just a wordplay. And I think that everyone's grown tired of these watered down bills. Yes, yes, absolutely. And how does this relate to the defund the police campaign? Can you elucidate that yes. for us? Uh, the problem is, and you see it when you see tanks rolled out into American cities and you see Donald Trump's horrible behavior calling for the military. Now, with the funding that departments have received, they are a small army, especially where I'm calling in from in New York City. So we need to militarize police. And secondly, we need to take away some of that budget. With that budget taking away from them. We can give that money to the community. We can give that money to social work programs. We can use that to fund education. In New York City alone, if we took away a portion of the police budget, we still have $425 million to give to schools. The school, you know what broke my heart? I got a sound permit. Usually as an organizer, I don't get any permits. It's like, why am I asking permission? But my campaign team was like, hey, go get a sound permit for your campaign kickoff. So I went to the police department in my community. Now, this is one of the poorest congressional districts in the nation. Um, I went to school in this district, failing schools, all the things attributed with poverty, they happen here. And when I pulled up to the police department, it was nothing but brand new shiny trucks. They had all these, yeah, they had all these wonderful new cars and vehicles that really just weren't needed. Even when they went on their shift, there was tons of new cars still held back in the in the parking lot. And our schools don't even have books. So people need to think about that when they think about funding to police departments. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. And and I don't want to hear 
any more delays, as we've seen with the income bill. Now, I did some work with Andrew Yang had actually signed on to this and other income movement people calling for the stimulus before there was the first stimulus during this pandemic. Now, you see how quickly they got out those trillions of dollars. We don't have to wait a long time to go over a budget. We don't have to wait a long time for justice. What they do is they tell us to wait and then we forget. So right now, I would encourage all the protesters who are currently out there to keep going and do not let up because that's the way the justice is swift. Because yes. you see, no one was proposing these bills. I, I saw earlier in the day, um, congressional Democrats also had something in the works and Nancy Pelosi was speaking earlier. Mayor Bill de Blasio was talking about defunding the police department. But if, if, if Americans and immigrants and undocumented workers, if everyone wasn't taking to the streets all around the world, this would not be happening. Yes, exactly. And those who can't, I feel like social media has become another vehicle. Absolutely. It's a true tool because uh, there's cool sites now that lets people know where you can protest, where you can go. How do you reach out? It's just making information so available to the public. And if it wasn't for cases going viral like George Floyd and Eric Garner, would we really receive justice? Yes, exactly. So Sacramento Kings announcer Grant Napier said all lives matter. And there are a lot of, you know, non-Black citizens who say that? What do you have to say to them? First of all, it's offensive. And the people yeah. who say all lives matter know that they are trying to hurt and suppress a movement. A simple way of saying this is everyone believes in research for cancer, right? And spending money to stop the deadly cause of cancer. No one ever calls the Susan G. Coleman Foundation and asks, what are they doing for eight? That's the first thing about it. It does not have to be inclusive. And if you really wanted the true meaning of it, it's, it's kind of like Black Lives Matter too. Yes. Yeah. Hey, how are you? We are here. We exist. Black lives do matter. So when anyone says all lives matter, they're, they're being dismissive and they're being highly offensive and they know exactly what they're doing. And they're doing it to hurt people who stand on the lines every day and people who are possibly going to be victims of police brutality. I'm, I refuse to explain that to another racist again yeah. in my life. Because you're smart enough to have Google. It's been going around for five years. People have been seeing the term. You say that to be cruel and you say it to be harsh and you say it to be a downright racist. And I have to put that in my space. Yes, exactly. No, and I, I completely, you know, vehemently agree with you because there is such a thing as white privilege Oh, it's a big thing. Yeah. And it's just, you know, people just kind of gloss over that. And, you know, you don't understand an entire racist pain and agony for generations that have really been um, kind of suffering and, and paying the brunt of all of it. And only now are we like really kind of had enough and, and uh, trying to create uh, and provoke major change. But- and it's just like, and it goes back to the people because you look yeah. at what the civil rights movement, how long did the boycott took? It took months and months on top of months for the bus boycott. It took about eight days of unrest. If black people and our allies were not standing up, guess what? We would not be addressing these issues. Kamala Harris would not have bill. Mayor Bill de Blasio would not be saying anything. If there wasn't public unrest, these things wouldn't be happening. And everyone sees the wealth disparity because we can talk about police brutality. We can talk about 235 Black people losing their lives at the hands of police officers just last year alone. We can talk about all the housing injustices. It's just easy to ignore because if we really opened our eyes and looked at it and we did nothing about it, we know that we were part of the problem and that it was just inhumane to treat another human being like that. 
I think yeah. people think like it's people who look like me and people who have melanin in their skin. They find a way to dehumanize us right. so they don't have to make a change. So they don't have to feel something. But if you can stand back and say, hey, that's a living, breathing person or or even what about those people who love animals but say nothing about black rights? Yeah. Like, yeah, like you're racist. If you don't speak yeah. up, if you don't see an injustice, then you're a bad person. Exactly, exactly. Michael Che actually did a, a stand-up bit about this that was really, really powerful. So he was saying kind of facetiously, but all we're saying is black lives matter. We're not saying matter than more than you or less than you. We're just saying they matter. Like, what are you supposed to say? They exist? <laughs> like, it's just... And the funny thing yeah, is... Yeah, and then the celebrate. Other- yeah, we, and I agree with you. We celebrate all of these things, like say in New York, Puerto Rican heritage and... Mm-hmm. With a million Puerto Ricans, like I'm from the Bronx, there's tons of New York Rican, I, I cook with their dishes, like we're in community here. And we do have a lot of Puerto Rican brothers and sisters on the front lines. But no one says anything when Puerto Ricans have a pride parade or this month yeah. is a pride parade. No one finds this attack. But when Black people want to come reclaim their power and ask for their basic, absolute basic yep. human rights, the right to continue to live, the right to continue to walk down the street. Exactly. Why is that so offensive? Why? So, yeah, it seems, exactly. so it seems like other races and people who have a problem with this, it's just they've decided to side with the oppressor. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, even the civil rights movement, just that that word, the operative word, civil. We're just asking for civility, damn it. <laughs> you know? I like that. So yeah, it's just, it's not even, it didn't even come to equal rights. It was just civil. Like, can we and we civil? need equity. Like I, yeah. I do believe in also in my policies, I do believe in res- reparations mm-hmm. for descendants of slaves for the things that they have endured. Other races have been compensated and right. also as a way to help the, the wealth gap. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think all of these things considered is what's really going to incite major change. I wanted to highlight uh, some of the leaders that we have had back in history. 1967, Edward W. Brooke was the first Black U.S. Senator from, from Massachusetts. 2008, we saw Barack Obama elected for two you know, runs as president. And 2020, Ella Jones is the first Black American woman elected as mayor of Ferguson, Missouri. And this was the same place where 18-year-old Michael Brown was Brown. fatally shot by Officer Darren Wilson. And that's where the whole hands up, don't shoot slogan protest came to be. So we have seen so many incredible Black leaders rise up. Do you think that now we'll see even more? I hope to be one of them. My election is actually June 23rd, and this race is pretty historic. We've never had a Black woman hold that seat. I've lived in New York 15 Congressional District my entire life, and it's never been seen. And it's a little sad that we're still having first in 2020. Oh, wow. So I hope that my run inspires people. I hope to make history on the 23rd. So yeah. And how can we support you and those who are in your district vote for you? Um, Well, the polls, which people have been talking about with mailing votings and a lot of constituents feared voter suppression. They didn't understand the process. The polls will be open in New York City on election day, June 23rd. I would ask people to go to our website. If you can donate, please do so for our final get out the vote drive. And if you don't have the means to do it, please phone bank for us. There are other ways to volunteer your time. You can sign up on the website, com, or reach out to me personally on social media at New York Fani. That's the full word, New York, B-O-N-N-I. 
Thank you. And can you tell us how we can stay informed as a society? You know, there's Black Lives Matters, there's the NAACP. What other organizations should we be following and donating to? Any organization that is fighting the good fight. And I encourage everyone to do their due diligence, to get behind someone they can afford, their defense funds. There's so many ways for people to use their activism. We have artists who come on board. We have fed the people. It's just find a way that it works for you. Of course, I would encourage everyone to call their state assembly people, their um, state senators, their city council people, because a lot of votes have been happening while we've been going through this COVID crisis. But to keep the pressure on and for those protesters who are near and dear to my heart, don't stop fighting. Please stay on the street because this is how we're going to get laws changed. Reverend Al Sharpton did mention a march that's going to be reminiscent of the 1963 March on Washington um, that was led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr and where he gave his I Have a Dream speech. And he is marching with Floyd's um, family. And that is in August. Are there other marches that you're going to take part in um, and that you could tell us about? So we um, I think now... And we need the marching. We we absolutely need it. But the people who have been on the ground for a very long time need to get behind a strategic agenda. Like marching brings huge awareness. It lets the public know. But what we need to do is start passing some legislation so we can have real power, so we can have real justice. Yes, yes, absolutely. And everyone needs to take a stand because silence is simply acquiescing to what racists want. Yeah. Um, it's like a threat. And I, and I believe Martin Luther King, since we were talking about him, he already said it, an injustice anywhere is in a threat to justice everywhere. So everyone has to look at it as, yes, this may have happened in Minneapolis. These cases may have come out of New York. But how long is it before it's in your community? How long is it before it's your relative? It's your friend? You have to think about it like that. You have to see everyone as a relative of your own and how hard would you fight if this touched your community? And tell us again where my audience can find you and follow you and support you on social media I all platforms it's New York Fani that's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-V-O-N-N-I New York Fani and my website is SiobhanaNewsonForCongress.com those policies for the Black Act are up there as well as Black Opportunities page, uh, website and Black Lives Matter Greeting New York Thank you, Shivana. This has been a blessing. I'm so glad that I was able to have you share your story on my platform. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. I want to make it a point to amplify melanated voices and share the untold stories of Black citizens using my podcast as a platform. As Dr. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. Please educate yourselves and your children. Visit websites like blacklivesmatter.com, theNAACP.com, and The Conscious Kid. Support Black organizations in your community, buy from Black-owned businesses, and I will be highlighting several of those on my Instagram, at Kanika Chadagupta, and write to your mayors to demand police reforms and reorganizations of funding. We can't fight this fight alone, and I appreciate all of you in taking a stand for anti-racism. Remember, always trust your mom's sense and dad's sense. Stay strong, everyone. See you next time. Total mom sense.